Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. Well, it's been a frantic time if, like me, you follow closely the movements and machinations of the media, and especially if you follow the US media and how it intersects with Australia through the Murdoch family. Last week, the mother of bombshells dropped that Dominion and Fox News had reached an eye-watering settlement in the defamation case Dominion had taken out against Fox over its coverage of The Big Steel. A settlement of $787 million American dollars would normally set for some serious bloodletting at any media organisation. And this week it started, and it started with the biggest star in the Fox universe, Tucker Carlson, who has been spectacularly sacked. Closer to home on Friday last week, Lachlan Murdoch pulled the pin on his defamation case against Australian news website Crikey. Clearly, this was connected to the Dominion settlement, but what does it actually mean, and did Crikey just win, or was it just a very lucky break? Eric Beecher is the chairman and the co-founder of Private Media, which publishes Crikey. He's also a former editor of the Sydney Morning Herald. Eric Beecher, welcome back to Fourth Estate. Great to have you on the show again. Thank you, Monica. So when the news came through that that Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, was abandoning the defamation case against Crikey, tell us what that felt like. Uh, Look, it felt pretty good, but I I wouldn't say it was a sense of elation. Um, It was a sense to me and my colleagues of justice and to some extent of inevitability because for this case to have actually proceeded through to court in October uh, would have required Lachlan Murdoch to have appeared in the witness box and taken potentially days and days of cross-examination by our extremely capable uh, leading counsel uh, about issues like abuse of media power or Fox News's role uh, in denying the 2020 US election result, that kind of thing. So um, I'd always felt that was unlikely to happen, um, but I was certainly uh, relishing the prospect. Well, why do you think it was unlikely to happen? I mean, the Murdochs don't normally resile from a fight, do they? Uh, they do resile from, as, as we saw in the uh, Fox News Dominion case last week, uh, they do resile from public accountability, uh, particularly uh, the family owners uh, who normally work behind the scenes, not on the stage. So the case that, that that Lachlan brought wasn't just aimed at Crikey, the publication. It was also quite personal. It was aimed at Bernard Keane, who wrote the original piece, uh, the, the, the then editor, Peter Frey, yourself, and your CEO, Will Hayward. He he really wasn't messing around. How much pressure did you feel at the time that that uh, action was brought? Uh, again, not uh, enormous pressure, strangely enough. Um, it's, it's not unusual uh, for plaintiffs to name uh, and include uh, individuals as defendants in defamation cases. It's happened to me in the past. Uh, it's not normal, but it's not unusual. Uh, so that part of it was just a legal tactic, as in fact the whole process, I think, uh, was about legal tactics rather than substantive issues or let alone defamation. 
But in terms of tactics, I mean, you, I mean, I'm sure that you feel vindicated, but you also must feel kind of lucky that it was the Dominion case that brought Fox to its knees. You you, you wouldn't have anticipated that outcome in the US when um, would you when when you decided to to rerun the piece in Crikey that seemed to so offend Lachlan Murdoch? No, that's true because none of that had come out at the time. Um, but we did feel very strongly uh, that. This was not a defamatory piece of journalism by a million miles. And so the, the fundamental core of uh, his case and therefore the allegations that we defamed him and humiliated him and made him, he, he, he was claiming that we made him out to be a, a, a conspirator with Trump in the election uh, denial and a conspirator with Trump in murdering people at the Capitol riot things like that. It was just absurd. This was a pretty regular piece of uh, uh, op-ed opinion, uh, of which there are thousands published each day around the world, and it contained uh, one sentence of hyperbole. And you only have to pick up a newspaper like The Australian every day to find hyperbole rippling out of their opinion pieces. So there was nothing exceptional about this. Mm. He was also claiming that Crikey was being, you know, pretty opportunistic uh, in in operating the way he did in relation to the piece. So because it was published, he complained, you pulled it down, then all of a sudden it went back up again. Now we'll look at the circumstances around what was um what 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 came out of the discovery process in relation to that? But but Lachlan and pulling Murdoch and pulling out said of the of the um, action that he remained confident that the court would ultimately find in his favour, but didn't wish to further enable you to use the court to litigate a case from another jurisdiction, that is the one in the United States with Dominion, that had been settled and facilitate a quote a marketing campaign designed to attract subscribers and boost their profits. Does he have a point? I mean, Crikey certainly did get a lot of exposure, and I'm guessing subscribers from this battle. Look, there's a couple of things about what you just raised. The first is that Crikey's uh, remit uh, is to hold power to account. That's what we're there to do. And when we do it, and, you know, it's it's rare to have the opportunity to do it on this scale, but when we do have that opportunity, we want people to know about it. This is not about selling subscriptions. Obviously, we'd like to sell subscriptions. But the idea, and I can understand why Lachlan Murdoch, of all people, would suggest that. Look at what's come out in the Dominion case. They run the Fox News network in order to manipulate the content to make profits. I mean, he ought to know about that kind of thing. So that's wrong. Uh, and, and you know, would you have put the piece back up if if there was nothing attached to it that would have attracted attention to Crikey? Hundred percent. You know, I mean, I made the decision to put the piece back up, and we put it back up because we were not prepared to be intimidated by a billionaire media owning bully. And you know, this is compounded by the fact that he does own media. That he's probably uh, in the defamation courts in this country. His companies. Uh, more than anyone else. And here he is uh, having a major pot shot at, at us. We published all of the legal correspondence and it's still on our website. So people can go and form their own view about the intimidating legal behaviour that we were uh, enduring. And that's why we put it back up. 
But knowing Australia as you do, and certainly knowing the kind of coverage that you would have gotten in putting the piece back up and and essentially taking up the New York Times piece saying, you know, come sue us, are you saying that, that, that really there was no thought that this might assist the business side of the, of the publication? Look, we're not naive. You know, we understand that that would have happened. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we were standing up for what we believe uh, was a really, really important principle uh, of, you know, journalistic free speech uh, and being able to publish opinions. I mean, it was it, for, for us, yes, both things happened, but our primary motivation uh, was standing up for our values. Hmm. And ha- have you experienced an increase in subscribers since the the defamation action was launched? Yes, we have, um, but that was not the, the reason that we did it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, why have we experienced an increase in su- subscribers? Because I think there are a lot of people out there who feel the same way as we do about this kind of abuse of media power. I mean, after all, half a million people signed Kevin Rudd's parliamentary petition calling for a Royal Commission into the Murdochs. You know, there's there's a very strong groundswell uh, of, you know, views on this subject in this country. Well, continuing on, you know, with this issue, and let's just look at the kind of information that came out of the discovery process that you'd engaged a marketing firm to help Crikey increase subscribers by essentially, you know, taking on Lachlan. There are some who who did find that disappointing, a lot of people who actually supported it, but some who did find it a tad cynical. Do do you understand those views, those feelings? No, I don't. I mean, we're a small company. Uh, We don't actually have a, a marketing staff, let alone uh, anyone on staff or that we use as a consultant uh, to deal with, you know, what you might call issues management. And so all we were doing, I mean, would anyone be surprised if we called in experts in other areas like we do with our lawyers? No. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, if we were going to present this case in public, that we did it professionally and, and we knew what we were doing. And so what do you say to those people then who, who say um, that it was a cynical ploy that didn't backfire on you because of a case all the way over there in the United States? Well, I say that it wasn't a cynical ploy from the get-go. Uh, definitely the Dominion case assisted uh, the information that we had to defend uh, ourselves, but it was not a cynical ploy, in my view, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you know, we're a small independent news publisher uh, that, you know, has to fight pretty hard, to say the least, uh, to get our head above the parapet. This came along. Uh, yes, we invited him to sue us. We took an ad in the New York Times, which is unusual. But that's because we were standing on our principles. We passionately believe this. And, yes, we got some professional help to make sure that we managed and handled it well. And were you, were you concerned when news of that professional help was so widely reported in the media as a result of the discovery process? Well, I wasn't concerned. I mean, you know, you and I, Monica, know how journalists and journalism works and um, other, you know, there is a level of um, uh, competition and, uh, you know, high degree of 
sensitivity sometimes merging into jealousy. And so the coverage of our case by people who, you know, don't like us for whatever reason, I'm not talking about News Corp here because they didn't cover it, um, you know, I wasn't surprised at that. Okay. Now, I mean, it seems obvious that Fox settled with Dominion to end a very damaging court case. Elements of that case playing out here in Australia would have made the US settlement kind of meaningless. Do do you accept that this is less a win for Crikey, more a ploy by the Murdochs to not relitigate in Australia? Well, you'd have to ask them. I mean, we won because they withdrew the case. So we won uh, and they lost. That's what happens when you withdraw a case. They can say whatever they like about, oh, we would have won and we're just doing it to save the court process and, and that kind of thing. Um, but if they, if, if he had believed as passionately in his case as we did in ours, he would not have withdrawn the case. Mm. But you, you don't accept that perhaps, you know, had they continued on with the Dominion case, not settled that that they might have been uh, enticed to continue the case here? Maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, you've got to look at our case in a little bit of detail without getting too technical about it. Uh, Last August, they sued us for defamation over an individual, over a single article by Bernard King. And that's normally what happens with defamation. You sue over one piece of content or a series or so on. And then uh, as we had case hearings in the court, Uh, flowing through from August through to Christmas, uh, it became clear to the other side because the judge basically told them uh, that um, their idea that this was an article that was not in the public interest, which was our primary defence at that stage, was not true. The judge basically said to them, this is in the public interest. This is a story about the election result and alleged allegations of stolen election and March on the Capitol and so on. And and so then what they did just before Christmas was they uh, repleted the case. In other words, they started their case again and they used material from discovery uh, to say uh, that uh, instead of suing us just on the article, they were going to sue us. They, they, they did sue us again on the republication of the article. And that included uh, some of the things we've just talked about. And at that point, we our defence changed, uh, and then it changed again after the Dominion uh, information started seeping out. But our defence changed then uh, to what we broadly call abuse of media power. So that meant even without the Dominion uh, material, uh, that if the case had proceeded through the trial, uh, that Lachlan Murdoch would have been having to defend himself on the grounds of abuse of media power. And that starts, I think, to get close to the bone for for the Murdochs. Yes, and certainly close to the Dominion bone as well. So, Eric, I mean, one of the things that a lot of uh, legal commentators have have raised is that it's kind of a pity that the the new public interest defence doesn't get a testing. I'm sure that you're relieved to be out of this action, but is part of you um, a, a little disappointed that that's not going to be tested? Yes, it is. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I had hoped that this would go to court uh, for that reason and for all sorts of reasons. I mean, this was an, an, an unusual case um, because the plaintiff was himself uh, probably the biggest media owner in the country and he was suing a very small media outlet. Uh, at a time when the defamation laws 
uh, had been revised and had not been tested in the court. So um, the this case is laced with ironies, but one of those ironies is the fact that if it had gone through to court and he had won, uh, he would have actually raised the bar uh, for publishers, um, particularly if he'd uh, been able to prove serious harm, which is one of the other two aspects that have been added to the defamation laws in Australia. And so, therefore, all of his editors in Australia would have found themselves in a much tougher position to defend their journalism as a result of what he did had he won. Yes, and that has been commented upon quite widely. It's, it, it feels extraordinary under those circumstances that he thought to bring the action to begin with. Can I just take your mind now to, back to, to the United States? We, you know, There was a seismic event on the weekend when Fox decided to get rid of Tucker Carlson. What did you make of that? What do you think is going on there? Is that part of Lachlan Murdoch, you know, cleaning up and repositioning Fox and protecting News Corp? What do you think is happening? Well, I don't have any inside knowledge of that. I, I like many other people, I read uh, uh, analysis of it. But in answer to what you just asked, is this cleaning it up? Um, if all it does is remove a few personalities like Tucker Carlson, but if Fox News uh, remains the, the kind of outlet that it's been in recent years, uh, then I'm not sure it's going to be that much cleaner. Hmm. So you, you you think he'll just be replaced by somebody of the same ilk? Uh, it won't make any difference. They'll just find another extreme right winger to fill the void. Look, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be wonderful if the Murdochs had decided to clean up Fox News and to turn it into a journalism enterprise rather than a pro, you know propaganda en- enterprise. I think that'd be great. Maybe that's what we're seeing. I hope so. Hmm. Okay. Now back to your case, though, Eric. Um, a lot of people thought at the time that this action was brought, and there was a lot of commentary to this effect as well, that it really was an existential crisis for for your company and for Crikey in particular. You know, can you speculate what would have happened if Crikey had, if it had been litigated and Crikey lost it? Look, you know, we prepared ourselves. We, you know, we're not reckless people. Um, some of us have a bit of experience in the media. And so when we went into it, uh, we were prepared for the worst, as it were. We planned for the worst, including financially. And so it would never have brought Crikey down. It would never have resulted in us having to uh, lay off staff or anything like that. Um, so, no, we weren't worried from that point of view. Okay. And, and as you mentioned earlier, I mean, you have raised money from the public. You're reportedly now trying to convince the federal court to order Murdoch to pay indemnity costs, some $1.1 million, and that would cover 100% of what the case has cost you so far, and that's despite you crowdfunding, what is it, 588000 or nearly $589,000 in donations to a GoFundMe defence campaign. Now, I mean, the court would expect Murdoch to pay, I think, up to 80% of, the, of, of your costs. That's what would normally happen. But that the funds, and he, but what Murdoch wants is that the funds that you've raised should to be deducted from the, from the total. Presumably, you don't personally expect to be permitted to double dip, though, do you? We're not going to double dip. I mean, we made it very clear when we started the crowdfunding uh, and as we prepared to do it that if there was any surplus as a result of the outcome of the case, uh, that it would go to a charity. So it's going to Peter Grester's charity. Uh, so that was clear 
to anyone that, that donated, and, and that remains the case. I don't really want to speculate on this issue about how, how the court is going to decide on costs um, because uh, I'm not a lawyer, and in any case, that's up to the judge and the court. But do you do you kind of understand Murdoch's position that what you've raised should come off the total bottom line of his bill? Not at all, and that's not what the rules of the federal court say. Absolutely not. But you know, if if he needs another five hundred and eighty thousand dollars to pay the rent or something, well, maybe we could help. Now, if Crikey had won, uh, if the case had been litigated and and, and Crikey had won, it, it really would have bucked a trend with media companies who've been on a on a hiding to nothing of late with defamation cases. Um, do, you know, tell me what what do you make of our defamation protections at the moment? Still too restrictive, even with the new public interest defence. Well, yes, I think like most journalists and editors and publishers, I, I agree with that totally. And you only have to look at the US and look at the constitutional protection that exists there uh, to realise, you know, what uh, the best model for a working democracy looks like. Um, the US model? Yes, the US model, absolutely. You know, they have public interest uh, tests. I mean, Lachlan Murdoch could never and would never dream of suing over this article had it just been published in this. There have been hundreds of articles going back since the election, or going back for decades, actually, since Fox News was, was created, uh, that were much, much more damaging uh, than what we wrote. Um, but in the US, you can't sue. He couldn't sue for that, whereas in Australia, you can. Um, but as I said earlier, you know, this also comes down to the question of public interest. And we had no doubt that this article was in the public interest and we had no doubt that, uh, I mean, Lachlan Murdoch wasn't even named in the article. We named Murdoch and the Murdochs. And the Murdoch we referred to was Rupert Murdoch, um, uh, because that's who everyone refers to when they talk about a Murdoch. Um, but we had no doubt this was in the public interest. And, you know, it, it's really interesting here, for example, just to give you a, a tiny little snippet of this, and all of this is, has, some of this has come out in the public record in this particular piece has because our barrister brought it up uh, at the last hearing about a month ago. Since this action started and when we did the uh, interrogatories where you ask questions of each side, we have asked Lachlan Murdoch and, and re-asked him to confirm to us that he believes that Joe Biden is the duly elected president of the United States and he has refused to answer that question. So, you know... <laughs> What are we talking about here? I mean, I just don't know. This is not a Ben Robert Smith case. This is not, uh, you know, we haven't uh, personally uh, uh, attacked or defamed uh, Lachlan Murdoch. You know, this was a normal piece of commentary. That's what it was. Presumably answering that question would have gone, at the time that it was asked in the interrogatories, that would have gone directly to what was central to the Dominion case, you could surely understand why he would refuse to answer under those circumstances when they hadn't yet settled that case. Monica, I cannot understand in 2023 or in 2022 last year that someone uh, of his calibre running media all over the world is not prepared to say in public on the record that Joe Biden is the elected president of the United States. I do not accept that that is rational. 
It might not be rational, but it certainly goes to the point of the Dominion case, I guess is my point, that what was being litigated there was their, you know, their support for the big lie. Why would he come out and and say something that could potentially undermine the veracity of their case in in that instance? Well, I mean, if you you want to defend his position like that, you can. But, you know, to me, it sounds like Monty Python. (laughs) Eric, um, you said earlier that you were wondering yourself why he sued under the circumstances that he did. If you, can I ask you to speculate on that? Why do you think he, he, he went for you? He went for us in my view because he and his company are very big and very rich and very powerful and they see us as being very small and very poor and powerless. And he was obviously very upset uh, that we criticised him in that article. This was the fourth time that we'd had legal interactions and correspondence from his solicitor in the last year or two. And uh, I think when we took advertising out, inviting him to sue so that we could actually test this in court, uh, I think it probably went to his uh, sense of self. In the original instance, his opposition to the piece, I mean, that that feels like extreme sensitivity, personal sensitivity almost. Is that how you read it? Well, I'm not a psychologist, so I, I don't think I'm capable of making a comment about that. Yeah, but as, a, you know, as an old journo, you've been kicking around a long time, you know the public sphere pretty well. What do you think is behind that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that his father never sues for defamation and he's been in the business for 70 years. Yeah, no, that is an interesting point. Okay, can I ask you, where to now for Crikey? I mean, it started off years ago, started off by Stephen Lane. It was a contrarian gossip sheet, basically, that, you know, was often, it was, was considered a big kind of centre-right business news website. Where do you see Crikey in the year, say, 2023, 2024? Where is it going? Uh, well, before I answer that, I don't wouldn't necessarily concur with your analysis of its history. Uh, I think there are elements of uh, of what it was when it started, um, but uh, in some ways it hasn't changed to this extent uh, that, as I say, our um, self-imposed remit to ourselves is to hold power to account. Uh, and, we, and we think, and I think that, because Crikey is now 23 years old, and so uh, the world, and especially the world of media, uh, and the introduction of social media uh, and the collapse of the business model of, of traditional media. I mean, so much has changed in that time. And so we find ourselves now in this country in particular, and same around the world, uh, where uh, the old, powerful, big media are no longer powerful uh, or big. And uh, there's far less of it, media concentration ownership in this country is greater than it's ever been. Uh, you know, many, many newspapers and, and other outlets have closed. And so for uh, Crikey to hold power to account in the current environment, um, in my view, is even more important, but it's different. And so uh, I wouldn't call us a gossip rag or anything like that. And I don't think we have been uh, uh, private media bought Crikey uh, bought Crikey after it was five, when it was five years old, and since then we've uh, we've changed the approach. But you know, still incredibly supportive of what of the ethos that Stephen created. But I think it's just as important now. 
Uh, so just to be clear, what I was saying was that it's was it started off as a contrarian gossip sheet, not that it was when you took it over. But that's beside the point. I guess my question is, it w- would would you agree that it it started off then as a kind of centre right publication? And if you do, it, do you think it's still centre right? Where do you position it now? Uh, I don't agree that it started off as centre right, and uh, my view has always been to try and position it politically as close to the centre as possible and not have uh, a political view. Holding power to account, in my view, um, is not political. Um, And so, yes, at various times, including now, we have writers who have uh, particular perspectives that might, in some cases, come from the left. We Like lots of media in Australia, we would love to find more voices uh, from the from the centre right and the right, they're hard to find. Um, but we do not see it as a um, kind of political polemic platform. We see it as a place that uh, digs under rocks and tells people things, particularly about power and politics and and that kind of thing that they wouldn't otherwise hear in the media or anywhere else. And in terms of where you're going, you have a new editor now, Sophie Black, and she comes in, you know, without the shadow of of, of this this terrible defamation case hanging over the organisation. Is Crikey going to keep sailing on the same course, do you think, or, or do you see that Sophie would be plotting a fresh course for the organisation? And if so, what might that course be? So I think for an outlet like Crikey, you're always um, thinking about not so much a fresh course, um, but it's not set in its ways. It's not, you know, like the Sydney Morning Herald or The Age, you know, a 170- or 180-year-old institution. Uh, it's not a paper of record. It doesn't have uh, a very clear mandate in terms of reporting the news or coming out every day with, you know, what happened yesterday. Uh, it's national, not local. Uh, and so that gives us enormous freedom. And I think uh, for Sophie... It gives her a fantastic canvas on which to, you know, keep moving forward in a different environment. And but, but, but I guess my point is, where 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 is that? I mean, where does Crikey go from here? What does it look like in 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 a few years' time? Does it have a different feel to it? Does it have a different political perspective to it? Does it? What does it become? Well, as I say, we do not see it as being political in that sense. So um, there are perceptions of it um, being political. Uh, and there are other publications like The Guardian and The Saturday Paper that are uh, overtly politically um, uh, directed. We're not like that, but we, there's still perceptions that we are. So uh, I, I think this court case showed that holding power to account and holding powerful people to account is something that a lot of people in our democratic environment uh, have a real appetite for. Okay, Eric, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks, Monica. On that note, I'd like to thank Eric Beecher for being on Fourth Estate and thanks to you for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk about media, politics and, of course, everything in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle there is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. I'm Monica Attard. 
and thank you for listening.